0: this is for the nerds this is for the brainiacs this is what we deserve go ahead and play it back you ain't gonna touch me you're not gonna do nothing you are not above me i bet you wish you was me i know and i know bro i don't know when to come in right now all right sorry about that guys uh we had a little bit of technical difficulties uh so we are gonna go ahead and run this back for a part two Good news is uh, we basically get to have the show, which by have, I mean H-A-L-V-E. So the first (laughs) half was all tournament stuff, which I don't know anything about. Nobody and knows no, anything about The first half
1: was all roller coaster stuff.
0: And can't get excited. Yeah, I mean
2: for... <laughs> the first half was roller coaster
1: ski lifts and then a little bit of
2: tournament. Yeah, come on man, we're
0: getting some
1: here. rando in his lap.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, that's fair. Hmm. She's not ready. Yeah, you don't speak, you do not speak about Daniel, Daniel Butler, Butler that like way. that. Bucker childhood ris stories. Man. That's right.
2: <laughs> Where are they now?
0: Where are they now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Guapo, Guapo's going to find out. Married, they probably have
0: some kids. <laughs> yeah, probably married with kids, that's what people tend to do. Um it seems like a lot well not for normal people. <laughs> Not for normal people. Yeah, Earnhardt's got a job it's so to hard do. to be normal. <laughs> I get it. All right, let's talk about more interesting things, aka cash games.
2: Yay! <laughs> I love cash games. Uh, we all
0: love a little cash games. Uh, there was a recent hand on the Triton High Roller stream that, or High Roller cash stream, that was played between. Uh, a few casino owners and multiple, uh,
1: multiple casino
0: owners in the same hand somehow. Yeah. And it and, has and to sa- be good then. I mean, and yeah, Santosh. It not be good? Right? <laughs> yeah, and Santosh. Yeah, well there you go. My man Santosh. What
1: is what is Santosh? Like how does where, where does he come from? I have no
0: idea, but he is legend. the fucking, fucking best. You
1: don't ask questions like that around here. Yeah. Yeah. Is, I know he he posted or uh Deux posted that photo of him and Santosh like at a Premier League football yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if Santos has investments in in soccer in some way. I, I don't know.
0: Anything's Perhaps. possible. Well, all yeah, I he know called is, it soccer. All I know well, is I, he barely I talks.
1: I switch depending on context. Right. You know. So. Yeah. I, I can I can adapt. I can call it soccer.
0: <laughs> all I know Football. is he barely talks and he just smiles <laughs> the mm-hmm. whole time. Winning Smile losing, and wave, boys. Doesn't matter. Just fires in a bunch of chips, laughs his ass off whether <laughs> he wins the pot or not. <laughs> Uh, And he was the benefactor of one of the largest TV pots of all time. 1.8 million. A high-stakes poker game. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, Harley. Queens and kings in the blinds. Nagy popping things up under the gun with a couple of red ladies.
3: So the 4-bet comes into 85,000. And now let's see how Phil Nagy's going to react.
0: Oh, my. That's a 5-bet,
2: Ali. Bye-bye, we're 500 bigs deep.
0: Last
3: time in
2: Cyprus... Well, he I does make the, the flat. Oh, my God.
3: Like Neither of these queens are going to flop a set for obvious reasons, and the setup for Suvarna is golden with these two kings. And an aceless flop is one that's going to be trouble for the queens.
0: Hearts are covered, and he has both his opponents drawing dead with over a million five in the middle, Ali so he checked jams.
2: Makes the call. Oh, that's not what Nagy wants to hear.
3: You're winning, hot
2: He knows he's drawing dead. 1.86 million dollar pot, Ali. We called it at the start of the night,
0: Ali. So you called it. there's a man that's gonna be involved, it's gonna be Savannah. It's just in the air from the get-go, winning one of the biggest televised cash game pots of all time. Couldn't even catch running hard. I'm actually annoyed that they ran it twice.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that's got to be brutal running it twice when you're drawing dead.
0: I like mean, a, they a may run, able... run to a straight. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. It almost it, did. If it, like, that he's, like, sweating that,
1: it he's sweating that equity yeah. to like he, he needs one of the two times to run him out of chop to get some tiny portion of the pot back well right. that's not tiny 25% <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's half no, okay. you e- save half your equity, stack equity wise I guess it's like it's quarter you know, it's, of the pot it's a small equity but yeah he's it's quarter of the pot but it's half, half of your stack the yeah, yeah, yeah that's true and yeah. that's a lot a of lot money a lot of money yeah. right
0: true. so big pot we can talk a little bit about this because yeah. confrontations between big pairs happens all the time in no limit hold'em of course uh, but it gets a It gets particularly juicy whenever you're at depth. And these guys were all 500 big blinds effective to start this hand. This is something that I notice a lot in the games that I play where big pairs, they're a little tricky. They're a little tricky. They're They're not as straightforward as you... Like, you get two queens in a cash game, you get pretty excited. But then all of a sudden, it's four bet back to you and the seven deuce game's on and you're just like, well...
1: <laughs> what now? Yeah, this kind of <laughs> sucks,
0: right? So it's like um, I think it's a very fine line between it, overinvesting and underinvesting whenever it comes to these big pocket pairs, and I thought that that was a pretty good uh, point of conversation to lead into uh, Stratchat today because I, I think that I would say on average, everybody gets it pretty wrong, like yeah. either they play them way too fast and get way too much money in with hands like Jacks Queens, whatever. Or they play them too conservatively and just are like straight folding to a you know, three better or whatever the case may be with, with hands that are pretty fucking good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't want to say what's your experience because that's not necessarily yeah. going to be very fair. But uh, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your take basically on whenever you start to get to these depths and there's a lot of preflop action? How do you start to construct the way that you deal with moving forward post?
1: I think that the, the easiest way to look at it is to, to start to think about like what your opponent's thresholds are, mm-hmm. and obviously, like when you have aces, you want to be able to get the most in pre that you can. But if you, if you have a certain idea of where a stack size is to where they're not going to feel super comfortable with kings, then you know, that's that's your threshold at which, like, you no longer really even have that much incentive to be, like, worried about getting it in pre with aces as opposed to, like, flatting, right? And then that sort of scales back as well, in that if you can identify, like, how many big blinds is my opponent going to be comfortable stacking off with queens, you know, that's that's the point where you no longer are really benefiting that much from trying to play for stacks with, with kings. And so it, it scales with... With depth, And it scales with, obviously, the size of pots that your opponents are playing. But there's, there's a lot to be said in a lot of different contexts for the fact that it, it really just comes down to, like, at what point am I no longer able to actually get value from worse? And uh, that tends to be, when we're at a lot of depth, like, that tends to be my, like, guiding principle there to where, like, If i have jacks and i'm at a point where it's like well i definitely am not going to be able to get stacks from tens here that just immediately becomes a guiding sort of boundary that says like okay well i just immediately have to be pretty cautious about how big of a pot i start creating in in this spot you know
0: it is very tricky though because at depth what often complicates the problem is twofold number one it's oftentimes going to be Mm multi-way and there's going to be some incentive to try to get it heads up and then number two the ever looming presence of ace king and the inability for people to just flat call it. Mm Uh, (laughs) when those two things come to, to be true, there's a lot more incentive now to start funneling money, money in with your bigger pocket pairs like jacks, Queens, for sure. Kings, Mm -hmm. obviously. And I find it difficult to navigate this sometimes because, uh, I think that the deeper you get, the more of a complete linear range you want to be able to possess. When you're putting in aggressive action. I, I think people think of this maybe incorrectly because they're used to studying 100 big blinds where they think that once you start to get into the 4-bet ranges, you are heavily gravitating towards polarization.
2: Well, you are mm-hmm. at 100 big blinds. At 100 big blinds, yeah, correct.
0: Right. But at 1,000 big blinds, that's just simply not true. You can't lower the SPR enough through a 4-bet right. where you can afford to be
2: polarized. You have yeah. to get money in with aces. Like when you have a stack depth, you have to try. Right. Mm-hmm. Not right. to get a 1,000 in pre, but to have a range that can... Uh, play like five bet and six bet pots
0: yeah but that's the other thing that happens is you start mm-hmm. to get capped at how many bets go in pre because even if you attempt to have a linear range the response isn't necessarily linear in nature despite yeah. the depth
2: or maybe the idea of the five bet or like the last possible bet is actually more of like a polar bet but reduces spr by a ton where like instead of going for like a click four bet it's a bigger one where it's like they can't they can't do anything else but call me. So now I have this range that's polar with aces, not aces.
0: No, and they have a depth with though it. that doesn't exist. How,
2: how often are you seeing five and
3: six bets like in your game? In six bets games, literally
0: like, never, never, unless it's all in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point that I'm getting at is yeah. like when you're 500 plus blinds effective, it's difficult to actually get to the polar to the polar uh, portion of mm-hmm. the pre-flop bet size because people will protect themselves; mm-hmm. they'll stop responding with linear. Action Mm -hmm. and they'll just be polarized themselves in nature, despite the fact that the SPR is really great. So, what ends up happening is, uh, the way that I like to see it is, are we deep enough for me to re aggress with a linear range? When the answer becomes no, then the question becomes, if I then re aggress with a polarized range, will I be, be? Then I ask the same questions Matt is, will I be accruing value from the response? Right? So, if i want to polarize let's say for a five bet because uh now the only response could be all in call or fold well i guess that's point is there's no seven bet or six bet rather uh it's it's there's no non-all-in six bet it's just gonna be jam call or fold Mm -hmm. if i if i believe that to be true then what i have to ask myself is like am i actually getting value uh from the hands that can jam am i actually getting value from the hands that can call or am I putting my opponent in a position where like he won't jam kings now because we're mm-hmm. too deep for him to jam yeah, them? Yeah,
3: it's just a- aces only.
0: Yeah, or, right. Yeah, yeah, where it's like the aces only jam, and maybe right. like if he's good enough and competent enough, he'll bluffs. have bluffs. Yeah, right. Maybe right. the ace king, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm basically getting at is like once you start to cross a certain threshold, you just don't see all in pre's. Right. Like once you get beyond yeah. like 500 big blinds pre, uh, you you just really don't see that six bet jam come through. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless and when you two get to, when you get
3: to the flop, it's going to be uh, high SPR. Right. If you're just playing a four oh, right.
0: bet pot, it's for sure going to be high right. SPR. That's...
3: But even with five bet, right? Like because there's, you're a thousand big blinds deep.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have I have a handful of hands where I have five bet hands like nine ten suited, mm-hmm. uh, and still arrived at a flop SPR of eight. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know some of that's a byproduct of uh, the three bet sizing, etc. But uh, other Aspects of it, are just the fact that like we're 800 blinds effective.
1: Right. There's like a funny thing that happens where when you get to a certain depth, getting it all because getting it all in pre just doesn't really happen. Mm-hmm. You now you get into a situation where any hand that you let's say five bet at like a thousand bigs deep, because even aces isn't supposed to just jam pre, they're supposed to like trap. You don't actually have to worry about getting denied your equity because you don't face a sixth bet and therefore you actually get to five bet like a little bit more linear because you're going to face a call response and then you need to have post flop playability right so like right. there's a certain weird threshold where even though your like value range or your stack off range is so so tight you're now in a position where the likelihood of you actually getting jammed on for like a thousand bigs is so low that you can actually start like being a bit more linear in your construction just so that you have forward coverage and maneuverability in the occasions where you know you get called by a range that's like super strong
2: but you need to have
1: some playability against it
2: you know Mm. well, because it's just about the percentage of your stack that you have left behind
0: right yeah effectively and i think ultimately matt's point is the overarching one that i think is worth making where The truth of the matter is you just have to start to get really comfortable playing relatively moderate SPR spots with top of range that's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think people were just like really, truly uncomfortable with. They'd rather... So this happens a lot in my game, especially with the seven deuce on, especially with the stand-up game, things of that nature. Open jacks for middle position, cut off three bets, small blind cold fours. Most people in that spot are overfolding jacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. They're just massively overfolding jacks. And the truth of the matter is, due to depth and due to the action that's taken place and, you know, the the side hustle games that we have on and everything else, jacks is way too high up in range. But then it becomes a matter of like, okay, well, if I'm not folding jacks, why am I folding any pairs? Because <laughs> to some degree, I'm just set mining. And then to other degrees, it's like, am I really willing to stack off post if I face uh, a polarized line of like bet bet jam or, or something like that? But the difference is, is that like, well, jacks are just simply going to flop better than sixes, right? You're you you're
3: more over, right. players.
0: And more importantly, like more you upsets, yeah. And, and more importantly, like you just block more of uh, potential five bets from behind. So it's like you have the ability to click, you have the ability to cold call. And these feel very uncomfortable because they're not natural strategy options at 100 or even 200 big blinds. But at five or six or 700 big blinds, playing this conservatively where you're just always lopping off, like what hands would continue then? Only aces, kings, and maybe ace, king is a bluff? Like that's just way too tight at this depth, in mm-hmm. my opinion, where you have a positional advantage, a relatively strong hand, et cetera. So you kind of just need to get comfortable putting yourself in a position to navigate relatively moderate SPRs after the flop with hands that we would consider to be top at range top of range at low SPR.
2: Have you looked at any uh preflop sims for the five hundred effective?
0: Just heads up.
2: Yeah, which is a little bit different.
0: Yeah. I mean it's tough because it's it's impossible to put like something like seven deuce into the preflop sims.
2: Sure. Yeah. For, for five bet sizes in that spot, heads up five hundred, it's kind of a big ish five bet, right? No. It's not really a straight click. Well from, from what I've seen. Two and it, a half. it tends
1: to like there's kind of a a zone where the main point is that you don't want to you don't want to size to the point where your opponent has a like a better price on their jam. So it's like it's balancing that against the better price on just peeling and realizing equity. So you do you do get to a threshold sometimes where the the five bet or the the four bet starts to get bigger based on like balancing up the like to what extent are we just giving them a really good price to peel and realize equity versus to what extent are we giving them a really good price to just rip it in there with Ace King off. You know? And it's it's definitely weird when you get to that depth because a lot of the solvers that we have, like if you try to run something on Uh, HRC, for example, which I use for a lot of preflop stuff, like, you can't program in a non-all-in six-bet. And I don't know if you can do that on Munker either. Like, I think you can, probably. You know that, Landon, one way or the other? No idea. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you might be able to, but, like, I don't think we have complex enough preflop solvers yet that we really understand how 500 or 1,000 bigs deep is actually supposed to play preflop.
0: Right. Well, we could just kind of look at, You know, models of of lesser depth that's solvable.
1: Yeah, it's just modeling, really. It's just like extrapolating.
0: Yeah. And we just know that like equity thresholds, as you approach all in, gravitate towards aces. Mm -hmm. Like the the strategy just builds around aces. Right. mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, what does
1: aces want to do? We build our strategy. I would imagine four bet
2: sizes are probably going to be leaning bigger um, than the 100 big line sizes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, instead of going like 2.1 or. 2.2, 2.2, you maybe you go like 2.8, or like
0: 3.0. I mean, you might even be able to make egregious sizes of okay. like 3.5 or four. But the the thing is that needs to be considered is the function of the four bet size is to lower SPR to a point where post flop you uh, can play plays in, in a particular way. Sure. But the counter to that is uh, the larger you size, the tighter the response range.
2: Yep.
0: Right. So if you size to a way, if you size, it's feasible to size in a way where the response is kind of just free-rolling whether or not they want to jam, right? Like, it doesn't matter if they play trap or jam. Their, their range is just kind of the same because you've put yourself out on an island. Right. Uh, and this is, like, kings is, like, the most tricky because it just feels like one of those hands where it's like, okay, like, I'm happy to get this all in pre, but you're actually kind of not.
2: Just yeah, there's a like, certain oh. amount in a big blinds where, like, I'm, I'm will, I I will refuse to get this in pre for this many because it's right. irresponsible.
0: Right, right. And I think that a lot of uh, a lot of the driving force in the strategies are that we've seen at 100, 150, 200. Kings really wants to protect from the ace coming because so much of the bluff range contains an ace. Right. But I think as you grow to depth, that's not necessarily true. I think the bluff range becomes pretty linear in nature. Yeah,
2: you just do better as a trap.
0: Yeah, because like you don't like you don't benefit that much by playing a four bet pot as the caller with you know suited connectors and and things of that nature right like not not that you're not that you shouldn't ever have those hands in a calling range of course you should but they're nice to uh right. you know re lower the spr yourself and have some coverage whenever you arrive at a flop of like you know four spr
2: and well the pairs do very well at doing good ver- like doing more than good versus the linear bluffs. Yeah. Like the suited yeah. hands.
0: The way I see it is like basically everything steps down like one scale. Like opening ranges are going to be consistent regardless of depth for the most part, but then 3-bet ranges are going to kind of uh just be slightly tighter. So maybe a position or two tighter than what the actual opening range would look like. Yeah. And then 4-bet ranges will mirror what a cal- or what a a standard 3-bet range would look like. Uh and then, you know, 5-bet ranges will largely kind of mirror like what 4-bit ranges look like at, at maybe 100 or 150, something like that. So I, that's kind of the way that I like to think about it, but it's, it's too simplistic because there are so many variables that come into getting all of those bets in the middle. Uh, was it a squeeze or was it just a, a, an ISO? Uh, you know, how many people were involved in the pot? What's the actual formation? What yeah. games are you playing? Right. What's the yeah. incentive to actually <laughs> readdress? Things how like many
1: that. different side games are we <laughs> playing yeah. right now? Like, we- hold yeah. on. This might be worth it. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. uh, I have a question for you, Burk, yeah. How many players on the planet do you think have more experience than you at a thousand big blinds full ring?
0: Um, a handful for sure. But not many,
1: right? Like so, you must be one of the most experienced.
0: Somewhere between ten and a hundred, I would guess.
1: Oh, okay. Wow, that's a big that's a big range. I I thought you might like be be able to name each of them. You know. Just well, the...
0: I could name I could probably name around ten, and okay. then I don't know who they've been playing with.
1: Okay. Fair <laughs>
2: enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but guess.
1: But like Dur,
0: it, it comes to it comes to mind. Like, sure.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think the um, the the general idea of what I'm getting at, I guess, though, is that it's so rare to get the opportunity to actually put in reps at that depth yeah. for most people yeah. that it's only going to be people like yourself who have spent a long time playing specifically in games that allow for that level of depth but also that level of depth against players that are everything from pros who know what they're doing through to wrecks who are playing all kinds of different strategies Right. like we, we have a, an idea of what the principles are but there's a lot of restriction in how we can actually study it using solvers based on just, you know, parameters and based on computing power. Like we can't, we, we really don't have enough power to easily solve like a nine max thousand big blind deep situation, you know? Right. So the, the, the,
0: the players that are, are winning the most in the short term are the ones that are comfortable just playing street poker and mm-hmm. taking spots regardless of equity thresholds and variance. Like mm-hmm. I play a lot of pots that according to theory, I know are way, 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 way too loose by equity threshold standards Mm -hmm. but like you just kind of have to be willing to do that because if you don't know they don't know for sure right Right? like that's the general rule that i want to abide by in games that i play is like if i'm not certain of where the cutoff is of hands that are capable of stacking off here but i have a general idea based off of theory principles my opposition has no fucking idea (laughs) yeah for sure yeah Mm -hmm. now it's different if like you're in a killer lineup of like just the best of the best who are really going to try hard to uh, obey theory in some sort of capacity they're probably going to the natural tendencies in my opinion is whenever new areas of this game are being studied theory will uh, push people into a conservative uh, mm-hmm. plan of attack. If you remember when game theory was like first being popularized in uh, Nolan and Hold'em around like 2016, 2017 it looked like an incredibly conservative strategy. Flop check back frequencies were through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea, like the, the whole notion of protecting your range swept the community and people just love checking back queen jack on queen high boards. And there's,
1: there's still this, this perception that, and I, it's mostly from people who don't do a lot of studying with solvers, but there's still this perception that if you play GTO, you play tight. Right. And that's just like... If you look at one solve, the solver is making like crazy animal bluffs with no equity, like at a high rate because Mm -hmm. it needs to bluff a certain frequency. Yeah, but their
0: preflop ranges are very precise. Right,
1: so yeah, what I was leading to is like, yeah, it's true that you have to be quite tight preflop, but then it's like tight range pre animal post right it's it's really interesting i think these
0: games play pretty much the opposite though and that's why it seems like yeah yeah, that's why i said in the short term the person who's willing to take it to the streets and roll around in the mud is going to benefit the most Mm -hmm. more so than probably some of the most elite players out there because they'll just seclude themselves by not inserting themselves into enough spots where you could just take it right Mm -hmm. like they'll just muck the jacks in that spot over and over and over again because it's it's just too close to negative EV to to find mm-hmm. other paths. And maybe they'll four bed it at some frequency, folded at some. But my point is like they probably just won't be doing much cold calling or anything along the, that sort. Mm-hmm. Only to be shown that, you know, the small blinds three betting eights there at a really high frequency and you know a lot of worse pairs and, and all this other kind of stuff. Um and maybe that's not like the cleanest example of what I'm trying to get at, but my point is is like if you're overly sensitive to equity thresholds at depth then you are probably missing out on a lot of free money because your opponents aren't that sensitive to Mm -hmm. those thresholds. Now, conversely speaking, that doesn't mean you can ignore them altogether. Stacking off with aces in a a three-bet pot when the SPR is 100 is really bad. (laughs) You know, you're just going to run into sets in two-pair plus. Like, that's just it. You You can't overly aggress with hands that are very high in equity but also very susceptible to being dead whenever a lot of money gets funneled in.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like the, the thing that it guides a lot of how people play big pairs in a lot of spots. It's thinking about the worst case scenario, right. right? Because like people are afraid of stacking off in certain spots because the worst case scenario is I run into it and I'm drawing really thin. Whereas when you look at why people play ace-king so aggressively all the time is because they convince themselves of like, oh, well, worst case scenario is like, like I'm up against queens, you know, because like, yeah. oh, I block aces, I block kings, you know. Mm-hmm. And people do the same thing with like having the nut flush draw post, you know, that people are willing to stack the nut flush draw in a lot of spots because they know even if they run into a set, they're still live But then, you know, hands that have similar equity or more equity if the worst case scenario is that you're actually drawing really thin or close to dead, people will play them drastically differently, and uh, that's really interesting because uh, there's plenty of spots where a big pair will have more equity than a nut flush draw, but people right. will be happy to stack off with one and not the other. You know? Right.
0: Well, yeah, you're right because one's dead and the other one's not.
1: Right. When mm-hmm. it, it, in the specific worst case scenario where we run into top of range, mm-hmm. so people are basically people are building their strategy around that inherent fear of what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? Yeah. You know, like, what, how am I going to feel if I actually run into a set?
0: We talked about this the other day, but I had a hand come up where uh, we were 550 big blinds effective, myself being Standard, the shortest stack. You know, just 500. I was the shortest stack. The other two players were or, uh, one hundred or 1,300 big blinds shortest effective. My, is my
1: hand histories are like, so I have 23 bigs. I own <laughs>
0: um, but... This hand happened where uh, one, of the, one of the game runners, who's a very good solid reg, opens under the gun eight, folds to me in the small. I squeeze Ace-Jack of Hearts mm-hmm. to 20 blinds, and uh, our friend Eric cold calls the big blind for 20.
1: Oh, this is the one we talked about yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: Not, yeah so uh, it comes eight, seven, uh, deuce, two hearts, and I have Ace-Jack of Hearts. I choose mm-hmm. to check, and then it goes bet-raise. Yeah, And now we're in this situation where it's like, uh, you know, I have the nut flush draw. So, like, I wasn't really that concerned about having to get in 550 big blinds here. Like, if it happens, it happens. Basically, there's enough, there's enough incentive with the board being low, uh, me having a draw to the nuts, there being extra dead money in the middle from a cold call range that now c-bet this board and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you're going to run into sets, but oftentimes you're just going to run into combo draws that you have dominated that have to funnel a bunch of money in. Uh, so I'm between like cold calling and raising. And, uh, what I ultimately think I may have messed up, but maybe is kind of okay. I think that I was thinking I would just happily three bet call off with like aces or kings. Maybe not aces because they don't need as much protection, but maybe like kings or queens. Uh, but in hindsight, looking at it, I think like I should just probably play a lot of those over pairs, uh, as bluff catchers mm-hmm. and then use, uh, a lot of my flush draws as uh you know reasonable bluff catchers that can improve and give me board coverage as well uh what i what i basically thought in game was that ace jack was a much better three bet because it has fold equity against worse pairs which is really important so if the reg has like uh nines tens jacks and is just raising to iso this cold call range but then gets three bet by a range that still could possibly have over pairs he's probably just going to conservatively mm-hmm. fold at some frequency. Yeah. And that's really good when you have ace-jack. It's really bad when you have a hand like uh, ace-king or ace-queen of hearts mm-hmm. because I just have so much equity against those, I don't need the additional fold equity, and I can use these hands to protect my range. Mm-hmm. That seemed like it made more sense. Uh, also, like I want to unblock uh, combo draws as much as possible, so like I don't really want to have ace-9 or ace-10 here, uh, giving my opponent the chance to have 9-10 of hearts and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I end up three betting. We get it all in three ways, basically, Uh, and I chop versus a set of sevens. But I think those spots are very similar to the ones that plague people because, again, I think, like, there's a group of people that will just look at that spot and go, like, I'm beat, I fold. Yeah. Or uh, not only am I beat, but I'm probably sharing outs with Eric in the middle. Like, I'm just going to conservatively get out of the way of this one. And I think you just have to be willing to play 1,000 big blind pots. Yeah. Like if you're going to sit that deep, you have to be willing to put the stack to work. Yeah. You know?
1: And that's... Nobody would ever accuse you of not being willing to play 1,000 big blind pots.
0: <laughs> here's the thing, Matt. If you're willing to do it, whether you're taking the best or the worst of it, <laughs> you're going to win your fair share.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. If, you know? you, if, you, if you always have equity, you just have to not get it in debt.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which, just unlucky have, for Nagy... Don't have
1: deuces in that spot.
0: Unfortunately for Nagy, he... He was stone dead. Yeah, that,
1: that, that's bad. That's not if
2: good. If you're playing high stakes cash and you only run it once, do you think it's better or worse for you? Like you just have that like mentality of I'm only, playing, I'm only running it once. Um, and I don't mean from the whole, obviously it doesn't change your equity, but like from the fear factor of playing an, a thousand big blind pot of running it I once.
0: think it strictly comes down to bankroll. Yep. Uh, and honestly, like even if you're incredibly well rolled, uh, the fact that so many, not so many, but the fact that you are going to play thousand big blind pots it's probably important to run it twice. Yeah. Because, like, those pots can just be uh, such make-or-break situations. Honestly, like, I know this is a wild thing to say for as deep as I play, and as often as I play these massive pots, but I feel like if I chopped every thousand big blind pot that I ever played, I'd come out a massive winner in the game.
2: Hmm.
0: Right? Um, But I don't know if I would come out a bigger winner than if I just let the 1,000 big blind pots run their equity.
2: Because you're saying you're winning more in the trenches, basically?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think that that's almost certainly true. I'm, I'm just redlining a bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to all-in pots, I would imagine equities are pretty fucking close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I doubt that I get them in dead <laughs> often enough. I doubt that I'm on the right side of aces versus kings enough. Enough. Yeah. A lot of times you're playing cooler poker when a 1,000 big You would think in. so. But right. also on the other side, it might you might be more willing to put it in with like lesser hands sometimes. Yeah, but the equity still run close. So yeah. like yeah, maybe I get it in with aces on this type of board texture and I'm up against the straight flush draw, mm-hmm. but I don't have any equity advantage there. Do yeah.
1: you, do you think how, how do you think it pans out like specifically with river decisions? So like bluff catching versus bluffing and things like that. Like do you feel like you do you feel like you
0: I think like if I'm have, betting river, yeah. I am I'm winning an inconceivable amount of big blinds.
1: Yeah, but I mean it's from, if from I'm the betting other river. perspective. Though, if I'm because, checking river, I yeah. think
0: that I'm I'm at best playing break even poker. Cuz that
1: was what I was going to say. I was going to say like if there's anything that you might struggle with, it might be making the big folds in spots where other people would find them in some of these big pots.
0: Yeah, but I think I, yes, that's true. That's true for sure, but I also um I think it's pretty rare that we play a pot that large where I'm the passive one. Right, and
1: therefore, that yeah, that's why, you know, that's why you're still obviously doing really yeah. well. When, I, when I
0: say if I it. chopped every thousand big blind yeah. pot that I played, I mean all in's.
1: Right, okay.
0: So, mm-hmm. so if yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like a 1,000 big blind pot that doesn't go to showdown, of course I need that for my win rate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? I needs this. <laughs> like that, That's very critical. Or if it's a 1,000 big blind pot where I, I, I bet and get called by worse or I, I check call correctly, whatever, sure. yeah. like, yeah, I need all that win rate. But mm-hmm. if we're talking like strictly all in prior to the river for pots greater than call it 800 big blinds. With
2: yeah. a reasonable equity distribution on both sides.
0: I don't even care. About, I just assume that the, there's, uh, that's basically what I'm presuming. Is that if it's, if it's all in prior to the river and the pot's over 800 big blinds, if I chopped every single one of those mm-hmm. over the course of my career, I, th- I think that I would absolutely be murdering the game. Yeah. Like, I hope to chop all of those pots <laughs> long run. You, you right? did
2: get one time by Sipple for a lot. I
0: don't That's know right. if I'll ever recover. I, I don't think I can ever financially recover from that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Joe Exotic. Shout
0: out Joe Exotic. And he fucking got me good on that. I, uh, I was thinking about what you said, uh, maybe uh, 10 to 100 players have more um, or just about as 1,000 big blinds. Yeah. Deep. I would think it might be more because of like house games and stuff and like just Macau well, games. When I was considering it, I was thinking both Macau and then like smaller stake uncapped games.
3: Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of that goes but like, in the ha- house games. But,
0: but we're also not considering that like 2005 to 2012, I was playing like 5, 10, 10K deep. Yeah, consistently, like <laughs> all the time. I was playing 10, 20, like 20, 30,000 deep. So speaking, like,
1: speaking of which, that's what you were doing yesterday at Poker Out Loud.
0: I was just about to ask you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, I mean, you and I fared very poorly. This, this is not a good season <laughs> no for us. Hey, no this. spoilers. We can't, spoilers, we can't man, spoil people. It's not going to be a good season for the Software White House. It's but not. All what, I heard was can i have a thousand more brian yeah <laughs>
2: can i have a thousand more that brian that was pretty much me all night it was yeah. you and nick nick i was running out of tips off. hunt wait a minute <laughs> yeah. i know right wait a minute does that mean that i've won more than you now
0: oh almost certainly
2: yeah you're probably mm-hmm. the biggest winner i'm the life, proud and of this place yeah. i
0: mean you don't have any volume in you played two seasons no
2: I, no, no I haven't no i haven't no i haven't he okay. just okay. says things
0: would you want to bet
2: i played more than two seasons
0: i've played 10 seasons and He's i've played 800 hands
2: oh. oh there we go look at that dollar per hand who's winning okay mm-hmm. we're close we're relatively close with the amount of time that i've been involved with solve for y and the amount of poker lives i played then this
0: is obviously incorrect
2: i'm surprised i've only played 291 um, hands i've missed i've missed it, too many this seasons is through this season yet. nine
0: right but this can't be correct landon oh. if i played nine seasons and you've played at most three
2: maybe it's more what are you talking about maybe it's more Other three or four somewhere
1: around there I think yeah it might, i think landon might have played four yeah. it's
0: impossible I mean, the company's existed for six years landon's been a part of it for 18 months
2: we, we had a couple poker out loud. He's been part of it for 18 months. More than that. Oh, two years. Yeah, it, Maybe three? Two and a half. At
0: least uh, two and a I, half. I, I yeah. think he's played more than three poker been out podcast I, think for,
2: I think it's
1: four at look, least. There, the one time you talking strange, was just there, there, that you're no. talking strange.
0: Even if it's four. I've played nine, and you've played more than half the hands that I've played. That's impossible to be
2: accurate. That's preposterous. Well, does it count only friends out loud or no? I don't think
0: Probably so. Probably. It has to. It has to count, like, all the things you did, like the vlogger season.
2: Yeah. Did but you ever f- play where you didn't play? No, I've played all ten seasons. Mm-hmm. I did play the YouTube season. With That's Ren what I'm saying. We've, like, we've yeah, you're counting a bunch friends. of stuff that I'm not. I'm not counting it.
0: That is counting I'm it. I'm saying that mm-hmm. can't be accurate. If I've only played 800 hands in 10 seasons, All right, who sent but, me that asset? Because it's Justin for sure. Justin, yeah. But like, no
3: way you've played more than Nick Howard. It's is on. My point. The, it's on the sheet, Burke. It's true. It's got to be true. Yeah. Do you think he's played more seasons than Nick Howard? No. More hands, more seasons than Nick Howard? No. Okay. I don't
2: think
0: so either he's played twice as many hands as Nick. Do you think that's accurate? No. Okay. Pauselgate. <laughs> okay. Thank you. He's played...
1: He's played. Uh, uh, I'm surprised that He's Nick played has played more hands than Chin. Nick has played more than me.
2: Well, like, I haven't played there's more hands than Chin. If you look at the graphic, I have not played more hands than Chin. Well, as
0: many. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> Maybe that's Pipped.
1: <laughs> that, that, that would make more sense, well, I, was, I guess. I was card dead for, like, the first four seasons, so I, my V pips are going to be pretty low. Yeah. Two poker a lot.
0: What did you think of... Uh, this was your first opportunity to play the stand-up game. What did you think?
1: Honestly, uh, if I try to separate out the fact that I... Just got dealt a bunch of really terrible spots. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I thought that it added an element to the game that was really interesting. Um, it was the second night. I was like low on sleep and super tired, so it was a real challenge for me to like not make big stand-up game mistakes. And I definitely felt like I only started to really get a handle on what the 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 like best strategies were like when we got into the second night of it. Yeah. Um. But I, I think it's it certainly the, the stand-up game plus the 7-deuce game being on, um, I... Like, if that if live cash was always like that, I'd play a lot more live cash. Um, because live cash is super boring to me most of the time, when it's just two blinds, uh, you know, not that deep, like, it's just, it's just boring, but... You're just
2: more incentivized to be tight.
1: Yeah, and, and at the same time there's just not a lot to keep me intellectually that interested in it, but I felt like It was a real, it was a really interesting challenge trying to, uh, trying to figure out the the specifics of how you're supposed to play certain spots and um, yeah, it was fun, definitely fun.
0: Yeah, I think even though I lost, I think if you play uncapped (laughs) cash, uh, you're you're certain to basically play all these monkey games, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that there are more monkey games that we can develop too. Yeah, it goes
2: oh, on. I mean, there's an
1: infinite number, right? Like you could you could figure out so many ways of. of you can add an ones.
2: ocean. That's. Tell him bring out the whole ocean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or you could just remove the river. Like here we go, take away a street. You that? can add one, take Hard
0: one away. to make away. five card hands.
2: Well, then flush becomes four. Well, there you go.
0: No, I understand. Sure. <laughs> well, that would actually make it way easier to make five card hands. Yeah. Flush couldn't become
2: four. No, yeah. flush have to stay the same. You yeah. just have to like run good. What about if you, what about <laughs> if you have you have to make a five
1: card hand, but we still take away streets. So like it's just your two cards plus the flop. That's your five card hand. How about that?
0: Mm. I don't think it would be a very fun game. No, it
1: kind of sounds like it sucks. Yeah, I think it, it would be like five card <laughs> Look, stud. Look, they can't all be. I'm just, I'm just throwing out. They can't all be winners. Yeah, just yeah I'm just, them. I'm just, I'm just speculating, guys. Yeah. I mean, know?
0: the way the way to come up with these carnival games, I think, is to find ways to incentivize people to play more hands pre, because yeah. that just naturally will lead to more mistakes yeah. post. Well, the stand
2: up game definitely does that. Just yeah. add a bigger ante too, right? Big ante. Have, like, have like five big blinds in the middle.
0: Yeah, big antes yeah. nice. Like
2: two ant, like two big blinds from each yeah. person. Big antes are good. I the
1: thing that I found the most, or the the sort of epiphany that I had. Way through night two about the stand-up game is that even though like my my approach going in was like the first couple of hands of the stand-up game the urgency to win pots isn't as significant therefore you can play a little bit closer to normal but I quickly saw that you were playing the first few hands of the stand-up game way more aggressively you book I mean um, were playing the stand-up game first few hands way more aggressively than everybody else and as a result you were able to basically avoid being in those situations where you're one of the last two to three people in the stand-up game, and therefore you have to play like a crazy wide range and get yourself into all kinds of crazy spots. Yeah. Because that that kept happening to me. I kept being in a position where it was like, there's three of us left in the stand-up game, and now or even two of us left, and I have to v-pip a crazy wide range in this spot, or I have to take some insane line. And everybody knows that. Yeah, and, and, like, and it, yeah. it's so taxing. Like, I, I, there was a couple of hands that I played. I don't want to give spoilers, but, like, there were a couple of hands that I played where I was in spots where I'm, like, there's, I literally I'm heads up against the other player who's in the stand-up game. <laughs> I, I have a hand that I would never normally have in this spot in my range. I know that his range contains a bunch of hands that he would never normally have, I have almost no fucking clue what his bluffs are in this spot because he might be blasting off or he might be way too tight. And it was, it was a fun challenge, but I wish I had not been operating on three hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh what I realized I really, yesterday,
0: really we played wish. perpetual stand-up. And what mm-hmm. I realized is that when you play perpetual stand-up, it does change the strategy a lot mm-hmm. because now once you sit, you actually are incentivized to end the game or not necessarily incentivized to end the game but you don't care as much if the game ends mm-hmm. whereas when the stand-ups a one-off once you're sitting your goal is to play defense like you don't need to necessarily get outside the boundaries of what you're comfortable playing as far as like hand ranges and stuff go but you absolutely should be taking advantage of the fact that the people still standing are too wide
1: yeah i i didn't that's another thing that i wasn't even considering until you started talking about it while we were on breaks and i was like oh shit i, I haven't even been thinking about Like, do I want the stand-up game to end or continue? Right. I was on, like, level one of stand-up game strategy, and you were, like, way above, you know? Uh,
3: Yeah, but, like, it makes sense... Aren't you an advantage when you're sitting down?
0: Yes, a huge advantage. So you
3: want the game to continue, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. But
0: when you're playing perpetually, you don't necessarily care. So, like, I was in the big blind in a spot where it went uh, under the gun open, and he had a chip, and then button called, and he had a chip. And they Mm -hmm. were last... They were last, and I was right. like, and I "For, had nine for deuce clarity suited. for
1: the audience, by having a chip, we mean they're standing." They're still standing,
0: right? Yeah. right. Yeah, 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 Uh So I'm in the big blind with nine deuce of diamonds, and I said, like, you know, uh, if this were a one-off stand-up game, I would defend here because I don't want the game to end this right. hand. And I have a suited nine that, like, whatever, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll play. it. They're both too wide mm-hmm. and i can be too wide too like there's an excuse to kind of get in there mm-hmm. and maybe i'm like bending excuse the rules is a good word i might for be him. bending the rules a little bit here with nine do suited but like point is even if i had like nine seven suited in this particular spot i would have just folded because like i just make fifty dollars by folding here but you make fifty dollars see you, I, I i remember you
3: i heard you saying that but don't you 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 already made your fifty dollars once you sit down so like when you say by folding I make fifty dollars, that, that's not entirely
0: true, yeah, right? Well, it, it's true whenever it's true. you're oh, it when this. you have a negative EV hand, right? Like the, the okay. notion is that like you can bend you can bend it a little bit with negative EV hands mm-hmm. uh, because you are getting the plus EV of, of winning the bounty and not having to pay it yourself. But like there's a there, there's a finality to that. Yeah. And when the stand up game's is perpetual, uh, I don't necessarily need I, I don't I don't benefit from the game continuing on because it will just continue on the next hand anyway. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Right. Well, the iteration of the game still stays,
3: but, but the game, but you give up that advantage of sitting down while people are still standing. Sure. So don't you always want to be like, be in that situation? Like, even if the, even if they're going to reset the game, the next hand, wouldn't you rather uh, continue to have that situation where you're, where you're sitting down and they're, and they're and they're. Um, I think they're always in theory standing. yes,
0: but I, I think that the difference is is that how far I'm willing to push that is a lot greater whenever the stand-up's a one off, right? Because so many more. Uh, and this right. this is more because right, hum- you
3: know your that opportunity's not going to come back. Yeah, around. this is more the human right.
0: element of it where it's like I want to make it taxing on the people mm-hmm. standing. Yeah, I want them to make right. big blunders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to keep them in the cage as long as possible. Right, and that that.
3: Is gonna change the dynamics of the game moving forward Correct. as
0: well. Correct. But like if we know the very next hand, we're all just gonna get put back in the cage anyway, and right. we're gonna repeat this process yeah. over and yeah. over and over again. Right. Then I don't stand to benefit that much right. by like putting myself out on a limb.
3: You want all the pain, you want someone to get stuck, and then the game
0: gets good. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like I, I acknowledge basically <laughs> right. that like yeah. by me flicking in a call there, I acknowledge that I'm putting myself out I'm putting myself at risk. With a hand that just shouldn't really continue, right? Uh, for the sheer sake of the meta, yeah, right. And whenever it's perpetual, the meta is just like far less important. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Yeah, it, I, I think the the extent to which the stand-up game generates spots that you should never otherwise be in is it's like that's part of what makes it so much fun. Like we had a spot. I'm not going to tell the exact hand, but we had a spot yesterday where I was like considering being in a spot i was like limp calling a massive iso with a hand that i would never usually have (laughs) even v-pipped in the first place and i i was just like halfway through talking it out i was like how the hell am i even in this spot like what (laughs) this is going to look insane on the video that i'm even considering this and i ended up folding and thankfully you you had a dominating hand so it made made me look good but like yeah I, I was in so many spots the last couple days that I was just like, I have never played a spot like this in my entire life. It was definitely fun.
0: Is it torture or is it fun?
1: Oh, it's fun. It's definitely fun. But like I say, it was, it was hard to have a balanced viewpoint on yesterday because I was like struggling so much just with the, like, just, just playing. Yeah. Like it was literally like one of the, I don't think I've played a session while being that tired in a lot, a long time, like years. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a real challenge yesterday, just like being alert and not punting. Uh, hmm. and then the fact that I kept having middle of range in the stand-up game every single hand as well was just like it was a it was a real challenge.
0: Middle yesterday. of range is a gift in the stand-up <laughs> game. Well,
1: okay. I should middle of range,
0: I should have like, like seven should. off.
1: Yeah, or well, like yeah. I, I should rephrase, I kept having decisions where in Without the stand-up game, it was, like, a super easy decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with the stand-up game, it right. now becomes hard. Like, yeah, yeah. like, I have a bluff like, catcher. Like, A6 out of, off. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I have a bluff catcher. I'm out yeah. of position against Jeremiah Williams. And, you know, the stand-up game is on, and he's not, he's, like, sitting, but I'm still standing, and I'm, like, he's overbetting flops, and I'm just, like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? Like, it right. was definitely a challenge, you know?
0: Yeah. I fucking love it. Yeah, I mean, I, it sounded like a lot the, of fun
1: it the it, it's one of the the things that like if live cash had the stand-up game every single time i would play way more live cash because it's yeah. just it, it's it's a, a huge edge for people to understand it it's really fun it incentivizes more action i, um, I just think I, like i did enjoy it yeah,
0: yeah i just think i'm like wholeheartedly in love with the idea of brain solving and, and yeah, freestyling 100 and i realized that more and more like it, it's it's kind of like the bell curve meme of like start with nothing but hubris of I'm really good at outmaneuvering people. Yeah. And then you get to a point of like understanding theory <laughs> deeply and it's like I know nothing. Yeah. And then you come full circle again where it's just like I'm really good at outmaneuvering people. I'm like <laughs> uh,
1: right now in my career I'm like on the down curve from like I'm at, I, I got to the theory point like the peak area and I'm like coming back towards the trusting my ability to brain solve but I'm not yeah. at your level of that. yet. I'm not yeah, yeah. At, I'm not at your level of like I want to play whatever random bullshit game you can make up because Fair. I'm, be I'm also right not at it,
0: your you... level probably of understanding theory either and, and that's maybe for... you're
1: still on the upslope no no I definitely think I'm on
0: the downside of it but I think it's because uh, I, I I always wanted this to be the outcome
1: Okay, like, so you just went straight from one side. You didn't even go up the hill. You just went straight. Like, yeah, right through it. He went up the I, hill, I, but I it's right not as steep you. just like tunneled through the hill. Yeah, like at <laughs> no point
0: did I ever think to myself, like, uh, I I want to I gravitate towards what I see on Triton streams. Like, I want that mm-hmm. to be my poker career. I want that to be the poker that gets played. Like, mm-hmm. that's the best version of this game. Uh, I just have never really felt that way. Yeah. And not because I don't respect what they're doing. I think that they're all incredibly elite. I just think that that's like the worst version of uh, a social game.
1: Yeah, and I think that the more I start to experience games that are outside the box and different, like it's, it's giving me a new appreciation for the parts of poker that interested me in the first place. Right. Like I, when I got into poker, it was not a game that we had any ability to solve. And I enjoyed the idea of trying to like figure out what the best strategies were supposed to be in a, in a time when nobody knew what that was. And um, As much as I have this desire to like, I want want to solve the the stand-up game because it's interesting to me. At the same time, I don't want the stand-up game to ever get solved because if it does, we'll have to find a new game.
2: I think there's a difference between looking at poker from a place of trying to reach the pinnacle of performance and seeing it for the low-hanging fruit, which is more fun. Like, the social element of poker seems like a lot more of the low-hanging fruit, and then the uh, solver-esque type of stuff is the stuff that people aren't even concerned about in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's just, like, a very upper echelon kind of crew. Especially if you have the dream of playing professionally.
0: Yeah, but I think that also, like, we're very heavily incentivized to keep thwarting the, the, the narrative that the game is solvable as much as humanly possible, and that happens just by changing mechanics. And even whenever... I was on the other side of the bell curve of, like, you know, GTO's too conservative, this doesn't work in, in live environments, yada, yada, yada. Even then, I was still saying the same things that I'm saying now. Like, when you add multi-way action, when you add depth, when you add uh, expanded pre-flop ranges, like, the game breaks. And I think that that's, that's what I'm really passionate about, is being in-game for big-money decisions and operating through a narrative of, like, let's fuck around and find out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I like the idea of just having creative ideas and testing them on the fly
2: i think both can be true uh just depends on who you are some people love the solved element some people want to play like those high stakes like triton tournaments and uh, poker go and that's just some people and for other people it's like no i'm just gonna have a good time with my friends Uh,
0: no i I, yeah i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you i'm saying that they're different games yeah i agree one is a very fixed mechanic right like when you start to like you could break the triton tournaments also you could make them a main event structure
2: you could give everyone play like an extra ante in the middle right three like three big one ante that's
0: solvable what i'm sure. saying is that like you could make it so that the average stack throughout is like a 100 blinds and that the chip leaders at the final tables are going to be like three four five hundred big blinds and-, and it's not that that would necessarily break the game but it would certainly create a lot more um uh like like diversity amongst the winners and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In football, it happens Parody. all the time. Parody. Parody. Thank you. Yeah. Um,
1: what what you could also do is you could do weird shit like randomize the levels in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like have the level go up and then go down again, and then you get to the final table and the blinds cut off a zero, and you're suddenly ten times as deep as you were before <laughs> and shit like that. Yeah, like, I mean obviously the, there's
0: no incentive for an operator to ever do this because the right. the notion of a tournament is that it, it plays down to a winner. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the only way to play down to a winner is to escalate things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so, like, it doesn't necessarily break in that capacity. But what I'm getting at is there's a reason why tournaments were the chosen format for the most elite players in the world. It's, it's the most fixed structure where there's something climatic happening, it, right? Sure. If you take fixed cash and just make it 100 big blind buy in, no matter what, uh, you know, you allow people to maybe go south at 400 big blinds or something like that. Basically, if you give them a static environment that never changes in cash, it's anti climatic. Yeah. All that happens is people just swap their win rates. Right,
1: and a static mm-hmm. environment with variables that don't change is much easier to solve exactly. in the long term as well. Exactly. It's easier not just for you know an individual person to figure it out, but it's easier for somebody to build software catered to that environment that can solve that environment. And the, more, the more changeable the environment is, the less static it is, the more variables are changing, the less <laughs> it can solve. Well, right. it
2: seems like incentives are... Disaligned in both, where the static format, you want to have more fun to make the static not feel as mundane. And then in a tournament structure, you want to make it be as kind of structured as possible in order to get to that winner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, if you're playing cash with your friends, you want to have a good time with your friends. You're not worried about, like, the mon- amount of money you're winning and losing. Sure, there's a difference between you playing cash, like, not versus friends. But it's just about if you see poker as a game that you can try to make a living out of or as a game that you see for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can both be true. Yeah, I, I, I
0: mean, I don't, I don't exactly follow. I feel like this is... I, I <laughs> like If you're like playing
2: cash is... games versus elite competition, you want to have a solved game. If you want to play cash with your friends for not that much money, it's a different kind of game.
0: I don't I don't agree with that. Why? I, I don't think playing against elite competition would ever make me want to play into their hands. What do you mean? Like If you're playing against elite competition and it's effectively a solved game, you guys are just breaking yeah, even. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I would, I would much rather... like play against elite competition in an environment where I know that none of them have ever studied. Yeah, even if, I thought I w-
0: even if I thought I was like mm. the alpha of that elite competition, even if I thought I was a pip above everybody else, I would still much rather play an unsolved version because I assume that what allowed me to be a pip above everybody else was the ability to solve
2: things. And well, how would you be able to tell that you're actually better than someone versus variants? You, d- you can't, that's
0: the point, I guess. But like the the greater point that I think we're making is that the the more solvable an environment is and the more people who are capable of solving it playing against each other the closer to zero you get and that's never the incentive to play poker
1: it sounds landon like you're coming at it from the perspective of people having the motivation to prove that they are the best you know or to or to to kind of show uh, a certain level of skill
2: well it's not proving that they're the best but at some point there's for most call it sports there's definitely a leaderboard Right of who is better than less than, which is still si- kind of important in some regards. Sort
0: of. I don't. I don't think it's any more reliable than like just looking at dollars earned in poker. Stats. Think, stats in sports are pretty variable.
2: You think dollars earned is the barometer of who's the best at poker? I mean,
0: that's how we keep score.
2: But well, like, now it's access to like private games, right, versus actual tough games.
0: Who knows? But like, you know, are you gonna? I mean. You're trying to make the analogy with sports and it's like the the easiest thing to say is that like we look at statistics. But if you look at any sport outside of like perhaps baseball, the sample is very tiny, much like poker. So looking at stats is similar to looking at dollars earned in poker. You know, we, we glorify things that are quantifiable, but they aren't very representative of actual uh, measurable skill set. I mean,
3: I don't know. Kenny Pickett had a perfect no. uh, passer rating in the preseason, no. which means he's the best quarterback in the league. My man. And that's all there is to it. See?
0: There's, no. there's your argument.
3: No, absolutely not. No, no NFL talk.
2: am <laughs> on the podcast. My new argument is how good and they're that looking. That cue the music. What, year, <laughs> uh,
0: what season do you think Landon's first poker out loud was? <laughs> I think it was season six with Lynn. Was that season six? It was Chris, Landon, Jeremiah, Lynn. It, it was all the young season... guys.
3: I think it's season seven, unless he wasn't in any of the season six thumbnails.
0: Uh, did you play the one with Lynn? I did. Yeah, it was season six. Okay. So he played six, seven, eight, nine, and nine. 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 That's maybe, four. maybe. I'm not even positive we played wow. all four. Justin
3: mm. didn't even make you a thumbnail in
0: season six. That's fucked up. Damn. That is pretty fucked up. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: so I played those four and I played the uh one on YouTube with Rampage and yeah, Marley. That
0: obviously doesn't count. You've got the softest lineup of I'm not all saying time.
2: It, I'm not saying it counted. I don't know what the sheet used, I okay? Mean, clearly, clearly I'm not
1: the sheet master. We got we just gotta get Justin to produce a more accurate sheet that Yeah, just
2: yeah, keep that the thumbnail. that's, that's, <laughs> that's the new thumbnail for today.
1: We just have to get you guys and Justin in a room and agree on a format. This is definitely Justin's
0: fault. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, We're going to be back tomorrow for a nighttime pod. Join us at 6 p.m. Pacific. Night shift. Night shift for tomorrow and Sunday. Or, sorry, tomorrow and Friday uh, as we have the Academy coming up this weekend. So be sure to tune in to the evenings. We'll see you guys all then. Peace. 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 Later, squad.